Hey, welcome. We're here on the Banish to the Pen podcast today. I'm Brandon Lee, and we are joined today by Paul Klein and Darius Austin. Paul, Darius, hello. 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 Hey, hey. All right. So we are doing episode 20 of the Banish to the Pen podcast today. Uh, it's, it's awesome to me that we made it to, that we made it to 20 episodes. And uh, Darius, you have been on one of the episodes so far, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct, yep. Awesome. And Paul, you are a first-timer. Oh, yeah, getting broken in. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, I just want to give each of you a minute to introduce yourselves. Uh, Paul, tell us a little bit about you. What's your day job? Where are you? Where can we read what you write about baseball? Okay. Well, uh, my day job's actually a night job, and I have some mild restrictions on how I'm post- supposed to represent myself for it. So let me be vague yet still give an idea. Um, I'm a police sergeant at a mid-major urban police department in central Virginia. My day job is kind of supervising guys out there. Well, my regular job is supervising guys out there answering radio calls, running around, keeping the city safe, that sort of stuff. And my secondary job for the department is I am a hostage negotiator. So I respond to a lot of fairly zany situations where people are inside a place and we want them to be outside of a place. When I'm not doing that, uh, I tend to follow a whole lot of Nationals baseball. We're about uh, uh, two hours south of D.C. And my wife and I actually have a website and our own podcast that has probably, let's say, about like 60% Nats, 40% rest of the league. And uh, if you have any interest in that, you can follow us, um, www.groundrule-trouble.com. Ground Rule Trouble is the name of the podcast. And I'm on Twitter, at GR Trouble. And a lot of the stuff that I write for our website ends up on Banished to the Pen, and I occasionally do a thing just for Banished to the Pen. So uh, my writing tends to have a lot of Nats focus simply because that's I watch or listen to pretty much every one of their games. So it's you know what's on my mind. So Paul, I, I number one appreciate the uh, the play on words and ground rule trouble. Thank you for that. I, thanks, thanks. I really like that. Um, but also, I, I this is a question that I kind of have for for nationals fans because they're mm-hmm. one of the the teams that has sort of come to exist in my lifetime so i i i wonder this and i wanted to ask you what uh baseball team or sort of baseball what was baseball fandom like for you pre-nationals right and it's weird because if you live pretty much anywhere in the south all we had was the braves mm-hmm. And I, the, I mean, and in where I live, we actually had the Braves AAA team for a very long time before we lost them. So in this area, you have a whole lot of Braves fans. But I never really was one. I kind of was uh, like, like um, an atheist baseball fan where I just appreciated it as it was. And then five, six years ago, um, I went. I stopped working. It was my like seven years. I stopped working midnight shift and started working swing shift. So I was working when baseball games were happening, and I started listening to Nats broadcasts as I drove around in between the insanity that is my job. And uh, it really plugged me back into being a specific baseball fan and a rabid baseball fan. And because the Nationals are what we get from our local AM stations here that was kind of where I plugged back into. And I, I timed it pretty well because I got right as the Nats were coming out of being so awful you couldn't watch them into the, 
hey, this team isn't bad, and oh my, look what's in the farm system. So I, I time, you know, I, I still had a, you know, a season and a half of not good, but I, you know, was able to lay my my fan credentials down before it looked like I was just a bandwagon guy jumping on when Strasburg and Harper hit the big leagues. So awesome. And speaking of Strasburg and Harper, we're going to get to them in yes. a little, in a little bit. Um, but I want to throw it over to Darius real quick. Thank you. Thanks to the magic of the internet, uh, Darius is joining us from Wales today. Uh, is that right, Darius? You're in Wales. I'm I'm in Wales. Yep, uh, North Wales. Uh, lovely place. Lots of mountains, the sea, castles. Excellent. Really oh, love it. Castles. Yeah. Castles. Wonderful. Wow. All right. Um, we d- we don't have castles in Chicago. Um, uh, yeah, we don't have castles in Chicago. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, but Darius, <laughs> tell us uh, a little bit about uh, about you, uh, where we can uh, where we can read you, and uh, what uh, what do you do? Uh, so I, I work for a university here um, in in a place called Chester in the UK. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I watch and read and write a lot about baseball. Uh, primarily at Banished to the Ben, of course, but I'm also writing for uh, a site called Friends with Fantasy Benefits now, which was set up by a bunch of guys from, I don't know if you, either of you have listened to the, the Towers of Power Fantasy Hour that Jason Collette and Paul Spora did. Um, they, have, they haven't had it on uh, recently, but uh, sort of a group of friends started up a site out of that, and uh, recently I, I joined them uh, about a month ago. So I'm writing some longer-form fantasy articles over there as well, sort of about... Um, Things like my most recent one was about putting April stats in context, you know, not getting too uh, carried away with anything going on there. Oh, man, small sample size and all of that. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, sort of more specifically kind of, you know, is there anything you can trust? Um, and comparing it to projections as well, trying to, to contextualize how much you should, uh, you know, look at, at the projections over the in-season stats, which I know is a thing that a lot of people find it difficult to believe, you know, what you're seeing on the field um, I think people have probably heard this a lot, but you don't see it quantified very often that um, that the, the stats from that season are not actually more predictive than the projections until you probably get to about late August, early September, um, before most of them are, are starting to, to come through to that point. So, uh, yeah, I, I do that kind of thing over there. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it, really. I, I uh, sort of gave a longer introduction last time, so I won't bore people again with the... Uh, the rest of how I got into baseball and that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but you're a Giants fan. I am. that out there. All right. And uh, what's uh, and what's your uh, Twitter handle for folks? Oh, it's, yeah, it's at uh, DariusA64. Uh, I mentioned last time that I'm a bit of a Mario Kart 64 fanatic. So. Of course. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I do remember that. All right. Thank you both. Thank you both for, for joining us today. And uh, this is going to be good. Let's, let's get into it. And uh, I'm going to throw it over to Paul. The, uh, the, our, I, was, I was telling him before the show that uh, we have our, our na- Nationals fan quota uh, is met today uh, because Ryan, the Ryan Sullivan, Baron of All Baseball Podcast, is not, uh, is not joining us today. And Paul is uh is a nationals fan and he is joining us today um and uh yeah i'm here to usurp his barony (laughs) maybe uh maybe maybe you can set up a a washington nationals castle see if uh see if darius has has yeah well like like we talked about before the show i lived in england for two years so i have some castle-esque knowledge so i could work it out all right good if you need any you know castle blueprints or anything i can take some photos and 
yeah, send them over. All right. All right. Good. Uh, yeah. Let us know. Keep us posted on that, Darius, please. <laughs> um, I just, I, I want to throw it over to you, Paul, because uh, our, your main man, Bryce Mondo Harper, is going, is, is going nuts right now. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you guys, does anyone know who the National League Player of the Week is one of, is going to be? I'm asking for a friend. Has anybody found out who's, who's good this week? Who's good, who's good this week? Well, you know, there was, yeah. that, there was that one guy who had a bunch of home runs. You know, you know the guy with the thing and the stuff? That yeah, guy? yeah, yeah, that guy, that guy. It's, um, it was, I find this interesting because earlier in this week I had planned an article that I haven't had time to write yet because um, I've been working. And it was about Bryce and to me kind of what I felt like was holding him back. And to me, it's it's his eye. It's always been there. But I have noticed and I, I have yet to find a way to actually find this statistically. But Bryce tends to foul off like a lot of those mistake pitches. And, and you can tell he knows it's the pitch he wanted to hit. Because I don't know if you ever watched Bryce Harper. He wears his emotions on both sleeves. No, yes, so, yes, he does. So you'll do see that. him. You see him foul a ball back or foul it off, and then like he wants to chew the bat in half, and he's screaming at himself. And so like you know, he knows it was his pitch, and he missed it. And I've been waiting for a while for him to stop fouling those pitches off and start sending them somewhere close to the moon. And apparently this week is when he decided to start doing it. So it, Finally it's put been it together. Well, and it, I, this is the narrative I find interesting about Bryce Harper is people act like he's been like three week old garbage for his whole career. When he's a two time all star, he's the rookie of the year and, and he was he's a player. At 19. It, well, and that's the other thing that I love. And it, of course you have to mention, if you talk about Bryce Harper, that he's only 22 and throw out the, he's still never faced a pitcher that's younger than him, even in his rehab starts in the minor leagues. He's younger than Chris Bryant, and it was, wasn't was until, I think, um, was it Russell that's now younger than him? There was a recent call-up that finally made him not, yeah. the young, not the youngest player in the National League. So, like, he's a senior in college, and he's in his fourth major league season. So, most of the stuff he's doing is when guys would be doing it against double-A pitching, and he's sending 450-foot home runs into the third deck of Nats Park. So a lot of that thing is like you, you recognize, you learn your pitch selection, you learn what to do when you get your pitch, and you could see him when he was younger. Like his eyes would light up, and he would see his mistake pitch, and he would try to hit it you know, into the Anacostia River. And, okay, like can he do that? Of course he can. I... I I'm waiting one day for Bryce to hit a 500-foot bomb in-game, and it's going to happen. It will happen. It will but happen. he, I really think he, and you've heard this from Matt Williams and from Rick Shue, the Nats hitting coach, that he is trying more to kind of stay within himself because his bat speed is so otherworldly that he doesn't have to try to hit home runs. He just has to barrel the ball. It's kind of like Stanton in that way, where Giancarlo doesn't have to swing for the fences. He always is swinging for the fences if he barrels the ball up. So it looks like Bryce has kind of started to figure that out. And for me, what I see, and I mentioned this some on our podcast, is my cue for Bryce that I look at is it's in his hips. Because when he tries to yank the ball... He starts to leak out early, and he opens up early, and it, A, makes him vulnerable to pitches away, but he starts hitting things off the end of the bat, and 
when he stays balanced and closed and he's not quite as violent and nasty and destructive in his swing, he still has more power than 95% of baseball, but he's able to more consistently put the barrel or something close to the barrel on the ball. And then you watch the ball, you know, look like a reenactment of the Cuban Missile Crisis with it just flying everywhere at fantastic speed. So that to me is what I'm seeing a little bit of Bryce is you've watched these last couple games. His hips have stayed really balanced. And like his first home run um, yesterday was into and actually both of his first home runs in the last two games was into the opposing bullpen, which is in left center in Nats Park. And if Bryce Harper is sending home runs to left center, that's a bad sign for the rest of the National League because we've always known he can turn and burn and just yank something, even an outside pitch out of the park. But when he's just staying through and riding a ball out to left center, that's a pretty dangerous sign for everybody else. And you look at his pitch selection that he's really gotten into this year, just what he looks at. Um, looking at some of his his uh, his pitch kind of summary stuff, like his his walk rate is a career high. His uh, strikeout rate is a career high, but it's not the same thing. Um, it, it, it looks bad because of how, many, how much he's striking out. But at the same time, it's not as bad as people think because he's getting to a ton of, of free strike counts, which at the, at the biggest rate of his career, like he's gotten to a 3-0 count in 11% of his at-bats. So one out of 10 at-bats for him, he's sitting 3-0. He's in a 2-0 count, 25% of his at-bats. That's, that's the hitter's dream is getting in those counts. So he's being a lot more selective. His strike percentage is at a career low, which tells you guys are, you know, I think it was Ben and Sam talked about on a podcast that you can read what a pitcher thinks about a hitter by the way they pitch him, right? If they start, so if they stop throwing him strikes, that's telling you the league is scared of him. And he's, you know, he's they're they're gonna start pitching around him more. So he's getting less strikes. He's seeing more pitches, about almost more than a, a half a pitch per at bat he's seen more this year. And he's just and his contact rate is actually quite high for him. Uh he's at almost a, a career high. He's about one percentage point below his career high at, at contact rate. So it's not like he's not putting the ball in player he's not making contact and striking out this much he's just kind of in some ways morphing more into this three true outcomes guy and when he's making contact though he's really starting to do his damage like his extra base hit percentage i think is over 50 percent right now which is uh, uh wait i was actually really wrong about that extra base hit percentage is 11.6 percent there was something else i was looking for that was a 50 percent. so ignore everything i said about extra base hits <laughs> Uh, here we go. Here we go. Percentage of all hits for extra bases. There we go. So out of the, the his hits, 52% have been extra base hits this year, which is why his slugging percentage has jumped like 170 points this week. He's He is the entire banana tree right now. He is so bananas. So bananas. That's right. Um, I just – can I uh, jump in? Um, sure. As, as somebody who used to spend a lot of time writing about injuries, I just wondered, I think there was certainly a bit of a narrative. Um, I know he ran into that wall at, at Dodger Stadium a while back. Mm-hmm. People talked about him on the base path as well, you know, being aggressive and, you know, sort of all the, the injury concerns around that. Um, do you buy that when you watch him? Do you worry about him that he's going to do something stupid, you know, playing too hard, as it were? You know, he's going to run into another wall or 
hurt himself another way or is that um, just yeah those those emotions on his sleeves aren't going to help him uh <laughs> yeah all those emotions him from ripping everywhere. Uh, I'll, yeah. s- I'll say this i worry about it less than i used to um the the injury he had on the base path where he tore that ligament in his thumb that was i mean it was just kind of a freak thing where it, that same month ryan zimmerman broke his thumb dying diving back into a base for the nationals and bryce kind of said this year when he talked about that thumb injury he was like you know i probably didn't need to try to stretch that double into a triple when we were up five runs and kind of and the he said the same thing about him running into the wall and that wall injury to me was really a, a bigger deal i think than people thought and he played through a lot of it and had off-season surgery but it really damaged his knee and i think really robbed him of his lower half and his power and it it's one of those things where i'm I'm not saying Bryce Harper is is ever going to be the most controlled guy on the planet. And part of that is what you love about watching him is the ferocity with which he plays. But I think part of that too, again, we go back to his age. And he is starting to get a lot smarter about the way he plays. Um, if you're familiar with the Nats, he has turned himself into a disciple of Jason Worth and sometimes follows him around like a lovesick puppy and is really like – let Jason Worth school him about baseball, teach him about baseball, and be his mentor. And I think it's been a really good thing for Bryce. And part of it is what kind of fascinates me about the narrative surrounding Bryce because I don't think people have ever really given up that image of him as that 15- or 16-year-old kid on the color cover of Sports Illustrated with the you know egregious eye black and all that stuff because if you look at how he's been in the major leagues, I would honestly say there are few players who have quote unquote played the right way more than Bryce Harper yet he still has this narrative that hangs around him of being some sort of brash cocky jerk is and that, I go ahead you no know, I was just gonna say is that uh I on 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 effectively wild this week uh Ben and Sam uh before the at the beginning of the Astros episode they had a, a little back and forth about uh the connection between Harper and Trout and is mm-hmm. that could you know that that perception of Harper is that kind of uh you know because Trout is very not like that not necessarily about the way he plays but his but his demeanor and being more about well, and being more about the weather than other things well but like you you say that and this is a funny discussion for me and my wife who does our podcast with me will like this because my wife despises Mike Trout <laughs> like. Like if she could run him over with a car and get away with it, she would probably do it. I, don't worry, baseball world. I'll stop her. Okay, I'll stop her. So if it ever happens, but, we know who to come for. Yes. Yeah. 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 You. She'll be in Mexico by then. But you'll know who to come for. And it's it's people say that about Bryce, but in some ways, watching Mike Trout from across the country, there's a lot of cocky in Mike Trout's game too. And like we saw with with uh, his interaction with Ventura this year, right? where he was mouthing at him and stuff like that, it made me think of when Bryce, in his rookie year at 19, got absolutely drilled for no reason by Cole Hamels, and Bryce never said a word to him. He just stole home and walked off the field. And it, if, if Bryce Harper was jawing with another player after something like that, that would be the only narrative in baseball for the next two days. But Mike Trout does, and people are going, hey, you're Donna Ventura, know your place, that's Mike Trout. So th- those sort of narratives, I-, I still wonder how long it's going to take if he'll ever do it, if Bryce Harper will ever get out of the heel role for a lot of baseball. And part of me wonders is that he kind of is a, 
a poster child for his generation. He's huge on social media. He's wears crazy clothes for or to anybody over 30 like myself. I'm like, hey, bro, what are you wearing? That looks a little, I don't know. He's flipping his hair all over the place, the eye black, all that sort of stuff. And I, and I wonder if that maybe rubs some of the dinosaurs the wrong way. And because he was, you know, the LeBron James of baseball, if, if that rubs people the wrong way. And they just haven't gotten over it and actually watched him play recently and seen that he is he's pretty much a manual for how to play the game correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, an, another, another player who is, you know, connected to Harper and probably will be forever was the, the other number one pick. The other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when the Nationals had back-to-back picks in 20, uh, 2009 and 2010, Harper was 2010, and Strasburg was 2009. And uh, Strasburg is, uh, is, is, having a, is having a bit of a year uh, this year. Yeah. Uh, I've actually written two articles on him so far this year, and um, I think both have appeared at Banished to the Pen. I know one has, mm-hmm. and... It's Strasburg is one of the most confusing pitchers, and I'm a guy that's seen probably 98% of his starts. And again, he is like Harper to me, though. And and, and Matt Trueblood, we, we you know we he just released. A, we're talking about banished to the pen of love alum. Matt Trueblood mm-hmm. released a piece on uh, on Baseball Prospectus a couple of days ago about Strasburg. And he, I, I love the phrase he used where he said he was chasing the ghost of his own future. And that is such a great way to describe what has happened to Strasburg, where if he was Jacob deGrom, where nobody thought he was ever really going to be anything, Steven Strasburg would be one of the most lauded pitchers in baseball. But because he was Steven Strasburg... Anything he does that is not that debut in 2009 against the Pirates, everybody sees it as a failure. And I, I really want to see somebody do a, a like a really good quantitative analysis of the change in guys' stuff post-Tommy John. Because you look at the difference in Strasburg's stuff, like people don't want to admit it was different, but it was different. And... He's still one of the best stuff pitchers in baseball, but unfortunately, when his elbow went pop, I think we lost the potential at having like the next Roger Clemens. Because for him, and with the way, particularly his fastball lacks movement, and after he shelved his two seamer, which was one of my article topics, he lost velocity on it, and it's a fairly straight pitch. And it's just, he's never been that, oh my God, did you see how dumb he made that guy just look on his fastball as much since then? Because you look at, uh, you know, 2009, he was 98, 99 mile an hour average on his fastball. 2010, right before he got hurt, 98 mile per hour average on his fastball. He's never gotten above since then 97.02 in a month for an average. And, okay, he still throws 95. It's great. But Matt, I found it really interesting, some of the stuff he talked about in his article. And he talked about how Strasburg is really filling up the strike zone this year. But to me, he's really doing it with that four-seamer, which, yeah, he averages 95 on it, but it's pretty straight. 
And the issue I've seen from an observational standpoint while watching the games is he is not throwing his off speed for strikes mm-hmm. at all. Like at all. And his curveball has a little less vertical movement on it. So that it's not quite that giant, you know, mule near hammer that he was throwing earlier. It's got a, a couple of inches left, less movement on it. And that has been a problem for him where he none of, nobody is respecting his off-speed pitches right now. Mm-hmm. And the, all they're doing is, is sitting fastball and, and swinging on it. And he's unfortunately filling up the zone with his fastball because he can't throw strikes with his off-speed pitches. And even though it's 95, the phrase that always gets thrown out is major league hitters can throw around a straight 95. And that's what he's throwing right now. And his whiff percentage, and this is a guy that has always been a swing and miss pitcher, his whiff percentage is absolutely bottomed out this year. Um, for his fastball, he his fastball, the highest month he had of April this year would have been his lowest month in whiff percentage in 2014. His curveball would almost have been the lowest, it would have been the lowest month by 70% in whiff percentage. And his changeup would almost have been half the whiff percentage of his lowest month, his lowest month this year. So he's just not getting any swings and misses. And to me, it's because Guys are going up and they're just saying completely disregard anything but the fastball. He's going to throw me a fastball for a strike, and he's not going to be able to throw me an off-speed pitch for a strike. So if I see swing, if I see spin, don't swing and pray he doesn't actually throw me a changeup that looks like a strike. And I, the other aspect that I think has been really fascinating about him is he and his catcher Wilson Ramos have been in a giant tiff this year, like yelling at each other in the dugout. Giant, you know, if you're a Nationals fan, Strasburg's body language is the most griped about thing on the planet. But he and Wilson Ramos are just not on the right page. And Matt talks about in his articles that Strasburg has become very predictable with his pitch selection. If he's behind in the count, he's throwing a fastball. If he's ahead in the count, he's then going to try to get off speed. But again, like we talked about before, he can't throw an off speed pitch for a strike. So it's then letting guys get back in the count because they're not swinging at those pitches in the dirt or out of the zone anymore. And I think, for whatever reason, he and Wilson Ramos just are not agreeing on what he should throw. Yeah. Uh, Darius, did you, have a, did you have a thought about the, the Strasburg piece? Um, I mean, I, I sort of, you know, I, I find it interesting. I agree with Paul that, you know, it's one of these uh, things, you know, people have always sort of uh, found whatever he did was not quite good enough because they were basically expecting him to be you know, Clayton Kershaw, um, just, you know, uh, and he's maybe, you know, a, a top 10 pitcher instead of the number one. Um, for me, uh, I'm quite interested. Matt sort of played this down a bit because Strasbourg is still able to throw strikes, but I'm, I'm wondering about whatever this strange sounding injury he's got, um, something to do with his rib. It sounds like maybe um, that he said, I think he described it. It was a really strange phrase. He said it was like, um, how your body feels when you're driving over speed bumps quickly. Um, yeah. Um, sounds pretty weird. Um, and, you know, it, obviously, you know, Matt, Matt's right. If he was that badly hurt, it doesn't seem like he would be able to throw strikes. But I wonder, maybe, is he, you know, trying to take things off his pitches or be more, he is more predictable because he's thinking about that and he's, he's not actually, you know, pitching optimally because there's something else at the back of his mind that if he maybe lets it go a little bit too much, he's, he's going to hurt himself more. Well, I'd say it's interesting. You looked at that thing, um, Darius, that 
the next day he got a they 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 claimed it was just he needed a chiropractic adjustment and he got one the next day and the next day he was playing catch and they've acted like you know apparently he the chiropractor to the gods or something gave him um gave him an adjustment because it is really changed for for the outlook they said he might do his next start it's uh he's supposed to do a bullpen today and if he does a bullpen today and he's fine he'll still have his start on monday so it seemed to be just one of those weird kinks that he was out of, and if you if you saw that start where he got pulled in the third and you're a, you know an amateur lip reader like I am you could see him really arguing with pitching coach Steve McCaddy he just kept saying I want to do it I want to do it I want to do it and they wouldn't let him go in but I did pull up something that I think maybe supports my theory about his off-speed pitches for strikes while I was while Darius was talking and I was listening with one ear is that I'm looking at his zone prof- profile for his any breaking and off-speed pitches, and he doesn't have a single of the nine quadrants. His highest quadrant of percentage of strikes that he threw was 7% at the bottom of the zone. But out of the zone, he's 14%, 10%, 12%, 10%. So everything is falling out of the zone for him, which if you establish you can throw it for strikes early in the game, that's fine, but he's never establishing that. And so I think it that might be his big issue is Everybody's just off his off-speed pitches because he can't throw them for strikes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for that, Paul. We're going to move on to Darius because I want to get Darius's thoughts on the, uh, on the seeming resurgence of one Tim Linscombe. Uh, is, you know, is, is the freak back, Darius? I mean, to say that the freak was back is probably misleading because I think, you know, people imagine him in, in 2008 and 2009 when, you know, he won the Cy Young and he was striking everybody out. And uh, I, if people who listened to me when I was on before um, would have heard about me talking about how Linscombe was basically the, the guy who made me support the Giants in the first place because, um, you know, I just sort of uh, watched him and thought, this guy is fantastic. Uh, and obviously it's been a bit of a, a sad story over the last couple of years. Uh, he's he's basically been you know the worst regular starter in baseball. Everybody else who has been as bad as Linscomb has has lost their job, um, uh, except except against the Padres, right? Oh well, yeah, yeah. But but I mean, I mean, who's who's not who hasn't yeah, been good against no, the Padres the last two years? Yeah, he's good for one no hitter a year against the Padres, but but everybody <laughs> else uh, lights him up. Um, but there really seems to have been. It, it did kind of feel like he wasn't really adjusting, you know, his, his fastball was down four or five miles per hour on average from when he was in his prime. Um, and he didn't really seem to have done anything to adapt to that. Um, so, you know, guys were no longer afraid of it. He couldn't blow it past anybody and, and he was getting lit up. Um, this year, there really does seem to have been something of a change. Um, I, I noticed that his ground ball rate was up. He seemed to be a bit lower in the zone. Um, and, and I've been reading this piece that went up this morning by uh, Matt Goldman over at Beyond the Box Score. Um, and he's actually uh, got got a cool graph in there um, from Brooks Baseball showing his horizontal release point is actually the most consistent it's ever been in his career. Um, and so he's sort of theorizes and, you know, it, it seems plausible to me based on uh, what's happened so far that uh, this is actually helping to deceive the, the hitters a bit more because they can't tell which pitch he's throwing from the release point. You know, it's a lot more uh, clustered around that one point. Um, and so he's getting a bit more effectiveness out of that. Um, and he, he is definitely working lower in the zone as well. Um, so it feels a bit like, you know, he, he's made some tweaks and he's actually kind of, you know, accepted that what he was doing wasn't really working. 
um, and and now he's tried something else that you know so far at least has um, produced good results. Uh, the strikeouts are still down, and he's been lucky in a, a couple of areas. I think his his home run fly ball rate is, is still pretty low. Um, so I'm you know I'm not expecting a, a two ERA the rest of the way, but I think that the signs are promising that he can maybe you know come back to being a, at least a league average starter and. You know that's that's nice to see. It was a bit depressing. I'll I'll always love Linscombe, but um, you know, trying to support him over the last couple of years has been really tough. When you have uh, guys like uh, Yasmero Petit, you know, sort of comes into the rotation and uh, you know has been doing a stellar job, and then we sort of go back to Linscombe again and again, and uh, it sort of started to feel a bit like uh, you know when are we going to give up? But um, yeah, it's it's nice to see him make the change, and for some guys it never happens. So I hope that he can sustain it and, and at least you know be a, a respectable pitcher over the next few years uh, over the next few years uh will those next few years be with the giants or is this kind of or do you see this as maybe his last hurrah with san francisco my feeling is is that this might be it there was talk before he signed the last deal that he was going to go back to to seattle uh where he's he's from originally um and you know i think it's hard to tell exactly why we gave him that deal in the first place because he was already kind of bad before we gave it to him. Um, and, you know, some people were saying, oh, this is just sort of, you know, a, you know, thanks for being a, a great player for us type deal. Uh, this is the kind of thing that the Giants like to do with their, their money, apparently. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, you know, un- unless that there is sort of uh, you know, no market for him, um, we the Giants do love to, to bring guys back. Obviously, Sabian uh, keeps uh, bringing back guys who have won with the team over and over again um the bullpen is really the, the most ridiculous example of that when you when you look at every team's other team's bullpen you know there's all this turnover year to year and the giants you go back and it's like oh there's romo and there's Afel and there's lopez and there's casilla and it's been like the same thing for four years now um so i kind of i get the impression you know that that it's not going to be the same and uh maybe we, we won't give him another deal unless you know it, it isn't um anybody else out there who wants him um but uh you know I, I could be wrong we tried to keep Sandoval for a ridiculous amount of money and and he just you know that was purely a he didn't obviously want to be there anymore rather than anything you know I think we offered him more in the Red Sox in the end so I wouldn't be surprised but my my overall feeling is that that this will be it this season Paul uh I just want to pull you back in here real quick do you have any thoughts on on Linscombe if you had a chance to watch him this year so far uh, not a ton, but I've, I've found it very weird that the the preseason narrative about him getting back in touch with his father and who, you know, was the architect of his freakish mechanics. And, you know, if, if, I, if I'm a narrative writing sort of guy about halfway through the season, I'm going to dust that line off and make sure if he's still pitching well that I, I am – there's going to be a giant piece for me with like 64-point time. <laughs> exactly. But I, I just find it interesting because he was a guy that was just like, they always said he was going to break down because he was too small and he was too short and his mechanics were too weird. And then it happened. So I, he's always a guy that, you know, I'm not the tallest guy in the world either. So I love seeing the Lincecums and the Pedroyas and the Altuves of the world do all the stuff that nobody said they could do. And baseball is one of the few sports where being smaller doesn't matter as much but being a starting pitcher is the one spot where it really matters seemingly so um 
I, to him, it's it's just interesting because you've seen guys resurrect their careers later in life. And heck, if Jarrett Weaver can get by with an 83 mile an hour fastball, Lincecum can find a way. It, it, it maybe this is when he's done it. And uh, I, he still has has never been on the disabled list either. Uh, so I mean, perhaps his his breakdown has manifested itself in a different way than physical injury, in that he's just lost all that that velocity and effectiveness rather than you know actually being hurt right but. and and I, I find that the dip in velocity and how it happens to be one of the more fascinating things going on in pitching right now for me personally because the Nats are seeing that happen with Jordan Zimmerman who's down two to three miles an hour this year in his walk year and outside of just age I've never really seen a age and injury I've never seen great explanations for why guys lose velocity and when it just seems to, for a guy that's had consistent velocity, when it just suddenly falls off the table like that, I always I'm always waiting for somebody to go. Well, you see, he's dropping his shoulder here. You know, give me some sort of mechanical reason that that isn't as depressing as he's 29 now. He's he's never going to be the same because that's a bummer, man. But you see, like you see, guys like Nolan Ryan who was still you know throwing nasty delicious heat when he was 40. So. It's obviously physically possible, or Nolan Ryan's just the biggest freak of all time. Maybe he's the freak, oh, and not oh, to oh. Litsica. Maybe he's oh, oh. something. Oh, oh. Yeah. Ran- ran- random, random thought I just saw, though, is that Strasburg did throw his bullpen today, and he apparently felt fine and was taking BP afterwards. So maybe he's all right. They always say they feel fine, right? Well, the Nats medical staff is known to say guys have a hangnail, and then later they amputate his throwing arm. So. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, man, that sounds like uh, sounds like the Chicago Bulls, but that's a different conversation for another <laughs> time. Um, uh, Linscombe is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, my wife has been with me to two baseball games. No, three. We went to our third baseball game this week, but uh, the first two. And Linscombe actually started both of them, uh, once uh, against the Cubs at Wrigley and then once against the Nationals in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to support my... Uh, my fellow Asian American baseball players, uh, <laughs> uh, Linscombe is uh, Filipino. So anyway, uh, Linscombe. Speaking of Tim Linscombe, he uh, he he had a uh, last season. He had three games finished actually because uh, he moved to the bullpen at a certain point. One of those was converted to a save, and he was a starter for most of the season, which means that he would not have been a very good choice for Darius Austin's ridiculous reliever league uh that he uh that he posted about this week on banished to the pen darius could you just give us a little background on your ridiculous reliever league and what's what's going on with it right now so i've uh sort of recently uh, last year or two been drawn to these kind of silly fantasy things anyway uh last year somebody invited me to play in a, a terrible player league oh like it's, a hacking mass like a hack yeah mass like league. a hacking mass uh, but sort of a bit more um stuff mixed in so rather than just they just use um the uh ops i think and uh era compared to league average don't they um but this was like uh, so you got negatives for strikeouts and um grounding to double plays uh, and there was even some stuff in there like errors as well you know it wasn't supposed to be so metrically sound or anything but uh, just sort of who are the guys who are really hurting their teams uh, a lot this year and, and the pitches it was stuff like home runs given up so you just wanted to get all the rockies uh and uh, I found this really fun. It was like a whole new pool of players. Like you sort of get into this this thing with fantasy where 
like when somebody's starting to break out or somebody gets called up and you're going around all your leagues going, oh, is he there to pick up? And you sort of find yourself looking at the same list of guys again and again. And uh, this was like a brand new thing. I was like, oh, you know, uh, Tyler Matzik is now relevant to me. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, I found this appealing. Uh, Javier Baez, oh my God, that was just the last two months were tremendous. He just strikes out three times every night. Um, and so uh, this is this has always kind of appealed to me. I like to have something a little bit different, you know, a little bit lighter. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's a good laugh. And so one of the guys in the Facebook group, uh, John Tower Aikerman, um, I can't even remember what it was in response to, but he basically made a comment sort of saying, oh, you know, I, I'd really want to do a fantasy league uh, say, that just counted games finished without a save uh, in the, the Web Alba's uh, mould. And I thought, yeah, we should do a fantasy league like that. <laughs> so I basically just posted about it and said, who's as crazy as I am and, and wants to draft a bunch of relievers uh, to see who can get the most games finished without a save. Uh, and, and that was how it was born, really. So uh, I managed to collect 10 other guys who uh, were just as into it as me. Um, and we, we each drafted six relievers. So we did a 66-player uh, draft of just, you know, the sort of uh, middle to back end of bullpen guys that a lot of baseball fans probably will never have heard of. Uh, and some of whom, you know, you may never hear of again after this season. <laughs> and uh, I, I've set up a little um, uh, Google uh, spreadsheet um, that sort of that updates automatically when you put in a play index query. So you just, will we have, it's really simple. You get, you get rewarded for finishing the game, but you get docked points if it's a save opportunity and you get docked more points if they convert the save. Um, and that's it. So whoever, whoever's got the most points uh, from their six relievers at the end of the year will be the winner. And, and you, also, you also dock them a lot of points for games started. Right, so it's so it's not beneficial to draft. Uh, no, I just I just put it for the complete game. So oh, just, I just for the thought, complete game. Sorry, just, just for the complete case, game. Like you know, we get a silly situation. Maybe somebody like Yusmero Petit, um, who could potentially end up in the rotation and actually pitch a complete game. People are gonna, you know, there'd be an out, outcry naturally. This is not in the spirit of the Web Alba's appearance, pitching a full nine innings. Um, <laughs> that is not in the spirit of Web Alba. Chucking out the opponent's complete game. You know, that, that would be ridiculous if somebody got rewarded for that. So I thought, well, you know, this is probably not going to happen. There's, you know, maybe one or two players in the whole pool who, who this might happen to. Um, but just in case, uh, I'm going to put this provision in. So, yeah, if anybody, and somebody did draft Petit, so if he, he does uh, end up in the rotation and, and has a complete game, then they will uh, get minus 20 points for that particular appearance, yeah. Awesome, awesome. It sounds it sounds like a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I did not sign up for it when it happened. But <laughs> but I feel like the thing about the thing about reliever leagues, uh, is that uh, you know, I I think it might be possible to just to just jump in and pick six guys who aren't on any other team and have a decent chance in the long run. Yeah, absolutely, and it kind of got you know interesting the strategy as well because I was kind of sitting there thinking. Well, I don't want guys who have got tons of options left who are just going to get sent back Ooh, to the mines. Get sent down, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we've had a couple already. Uh, I think uh, someone drafted Anthony Vavaro, who has been DFA'd twice since we started. <laughs> <laughs> well, poor Anthony. So these, these guys, obviously, that wasn't the case where he had options, but these guys who were considered expendable, apparently, and it was kind of weird with him because he's been good uh, over the last couple of years, but. Um, yeah, so I was sort of sitting there thinking, well, this you know, guy's you know four years away from, uh, you know, arbitration or whatever. Uh, you know, is he really going to stick around all year, or are they going to bounce him back and forth and going to miss out opportunities? 
so then I started looking at guys like uh, Boone Logan, who the Rockies gave a ridiculous three-year, $15 million contract to. And I'm just thinking, well, you know, he could probably be pretty terrible. And they, they're they not going to let him close, and they're not going to send him down. So I've got a decent chance to get 10, 15 games finished out of him. Part of me feels like with Boone Logan, that was more just like hush money from the Rockies going, hey, we're going to end your career, but at least you'll be set for life. Come pitch at cores. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that that's just what they have to give people uh, in free agency to, to go there and pitch. Um, but uh, yeah, for, for me, that was uh, definitely a deciding factor. Uh, I picked up uh, Avi Lopez for the same reason, you know, the Giants are never going to let him close and he's got a big contract, so he's not going to go anywhere. So yeah, it's sort of, for me, certainly, it started to get quite uh, tactical. I think some other people were doing the, uh, you know, uh, Sam approach of no preparation and, you know, I'm just going to look a, at... A random number week. generator. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I, I think uh, some people didn't even really check all the closing situations that closely because uh, Brad Boxberger, who is just absolutely blowing uh, past every battery faces at the moment for the race and collecting tons of saves along the way, ended up on someone's team. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it should be fun. I think that guy might end up with uh, minus points. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Boxberger, that's a good name. That's a name that sticks out it's, on a draft. It's an excellent so. name, yeah. So, uh, of course, they would get picked. Um, on, on the note of games finished, um, the two games that could possibly be finished over the course of a season for a given team, but what if that number goes down to 154, as was discussed uh, this week a little bit? Manfred did not completely, Commissioner Manfred did not completely say, no, not going to 154, but, uh, you know, something more along the lines of the fact that it's being discussed. Uh, I just want to throw it out to, to the two of you. Uh, I'll, throw it out to, I'll throw it out to Paul first. Paul, 154, 154 games over season. Uh, what do you think? Eight games, eight games lopped off. Is, is it really going to make a difference? Or is it, like, a huge deal? Or is it somewhere in between? I, I, to me, like, the whole discussion on this is essentially the baseball season is too long. And I'm not sure that necessarily cutting a week out of games does anything because a lot of the proposals I've seen says cut the regular season to 154 but add more playoff games. And I'm like, hey, guys, that doesn't fix the problem. Yeah. I, I think we need to see a, a combination thing where we need to play more doubleheaders, frankly, because when you have a, a, a day during the week where there's no day games – that's not good for anybody. So you want to play more doubleheaders. As, as, someone, gonna... who work night, as someone who works nights. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I thoroughly agree. No day games is terrible. <laughs> yes, yes. So it says Darius, so you who, have... who uh, some background, Darius is asleep during U.S. night games. So, of course, he wants day games. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue, Paul. So, so, so but what then, of course, we're having a lot of the things we're seeing today says having rest is a very important thing. Like, look at Matt Carpenter's extreme fatigue or whatever that is going on. So the solution to me is you give an extra roster slot or two. So we're a 26 or 27 man roster that'll let you get another long man up. And it'll, you can trim more like 10 days to two weeks off the season with a lot of more, a lot more day games. And when you do that, then. You can still, then to me, you can add another playoff game or two, but still finish the season a week earlier. So you get kind of the best of both worlds. And I, I'm sure, Brandon, you could say living in Chicago, the day games are a fairly special thing, and there's not a ton of them. And doubleheaders, that's one of those things. If you go to a doubleheader, man, you have just like, 
you, you have won the baseball karma battle for that day. So who doesn't want to see that sort of stuff? And you don't then lose any of the revenue stream for the teams. You don't lose any revenue stream for TV. In fact, you even game in and gain some if you can shuttle in an extra playoff game or two, even if it's just in the wild card round. You know, you're you're adding money there for people, and you're getting a home playoff game for the other wild card team. And to to me, that just kind of it adds to it. And if you do more doubleheaders, you might then be able to squeeze in an extra day off or two as well. And the players then can be okay with it because for the players union, you've added an extra, you know, sixty major league salaries right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, as I I do love day baseball, um, and uh, you know, I I plan my uh, I plan my personal days around it at work. Um, but uh, I, I will say this. Uh, I, I really, there was one, the Cubs actually played a planned doubleheader last season uh, against the Nationals. And uh, there was a, the Sunday game conflicted, the Sunday game of a weekend series conflicted with the uh, the local pride parade that uh, goes through the same neighborhood as Wrigleyville, uh, or as Wrigley Field. And uh, it's, that is always, always, always the busiest day of the year on, on Chicago public transportation. So they scheduled or they moved the Sunday game to Saturday and they played a split doubleheader on Saturday. And I went to both games and had a blast. Um, but I, I do watch out for those doubleheaders and I do try and go to them uh, when I can. And I think like it's it's uh, it's it, I, I like your idea, Paul, about having about having more doubleheaders uh, throughout the season. Partially because of day games, but you know I can take a day off and go watch a whole lot of baseball. Uh, Darius, what what are what are you feeling about one fifty four? I like, I read uh, Dave Cameron's piece, and he sort of said a, a similar thing. Um, I mean, I think he he sort of started by saying he couldn't really see a lot of the uh, people involved um, going for for that many fewer games just because of the financial implications. Um, but he was also talking about having maybe expanded. Uh, you know, rosters, uh, squads that you would, you know, perhaps you can't have everybody active for a particular game, but uh, rather than, you know, sort of bouncing guys up and down all the time, maybe you have 30 players uh, to choose from and then you can designate five as inactive for the for the game, something like that. Um, and that's much more like how uh, football, soccer works over here. You know, you have a, a larger squad and then you sort of whittle down the number of players who are actually eligible on game day. Um, and so that that made a lot of sense to me. Uh, and from an injury perspective, I think it, it is a much better idea uh, to give to give players a bit more rest. A lot of these things are overuse injuries, you know. Um, so we get into the point with with Tommy John, where I know it's starting a lot earlier, but perhaps if if MLB uh, sort of takes the lead on on saying, well, maybe we need to give these guys a bit more rest, then it will trickle down further and, and people will realise that the best way to go about this is actually to take it a bit easier and and not overwork guys too too young because uh, it's going to have long-term implications um, and uh, you know I think it's not like you're going to have a situation where there isn't enough baseball um, you know I think 154 I, I know we, is we, still, still a lot yeah and you know they're not going to be days where nobody's playing um, people can't watch 15 games at once I know we, we've all probably tried oh, with MLB. I've tried. oh I have tried yeah. And you, you flip round and, oh, look, you know, somebody's on base here or bases are loaded here, you know, no hitter going on and you've got the four screens going. And, but Although, you know, the last, the last day of the season this year, uh, all the games are going to start at the same time, right? Like even across, even across time zones, it's all going to start 
every game is has the same first pitch time. So uh, so between now and then, MLB will have to come up with the with the fifteen way split screen, um, or else there are going to be a lot of unhappy people. Well, can I yeah, can that, I throw out my we, sorry sorry Darius, finish your sentence. No, I was just going to say that's how they do it in in the Premier League as well. So for the last day, especially if the the title race is exciting in in the the Premier League, um, the the games always start at the same time. So nobody knows, you know, how everybody else is doing. You know, nobody's already won or already lost and settled something. It's all happening at the same time. And, you know, you often get cutaways to other grounds to see the goals and things like that. And it's much more exciting that way. It's a, it's a really cool thing to have going on. Well, well, my thing I think that Manfred needs to focus on, and I'll spend like 90 seconds on this, instead of the 154 or the 162, is blackouts. Mm. Because as someone that lives in the viewing market, of you know my favorite team, I can only way I can watch it is on Masson on my television. Even with you, you know, like your the cable provider's app, Masson doesn't show on that. So I'm stuck to my TV. I can't watch it on my computer. Can't watch it on my tablet. Can't watch it on my phone. And I'd be willing, you know, the MLB package is 120 whatever it is. I'd drop an extra 20 bucks just to lift blackouts right there. And I think that again, I'm already paying the cable fee, or maybe I'm not, whatever. But that's much more than I'm giving Comcast or Time Warner to include Masson in my package. So I think MLB is being dumb and missing revenue here. And the cable networks and the cable providers are missing revenue as opposed to gaining revenue by this blackout strategy. And I, there's been some rumblings, and I really hope two years from now or whatever, this is something we all laugh about, about how dumb it was. Cause that irks me a lot more than how long the season is. No, this is total. This is definitely, uh, definitely true for me as well. Uh, I, I don't have cable at home. Uh, but luckily, luckily for me, I guess in Chicago, a lot of the Cubs and a good number of White Sox games are still shown over the air, uh, without the need for a cable package. So I still get, you know, three to four Cubs games a week plus one to two Sox games. Um, but, you know, if, if there's a day where the Cubs go completely to cable, I will, uh, I'll have to plunk down for something. And, you know, if it's, I'm, I'm hoping by then it'll be an over-the-top MLB package. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right. I, I want to move on to, to the last thing that we had on the docket. And Darius was teasing uh, us with this over over email before the show, but he has devised a baseball reference game that, uh, that we are going to play right now. Darius, take it away. Okay, well, you've probably gathered by now that I like slightly silly baseball-related games. Um, and this, this came out of something that we were discussing in, in the Banish of the Pen group uh, about sponsoring Ryan Webb and Matt Albert's uh, baseball reference pages. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, I just want—I I just want to throw it out there that Banish to the Pen is the official sponsor of the uh, of of Robert Manuel's baseball page. Uh, in case anyone was wondering, but yes, various please. Yes, a, a, another good one. So we're, we're going to be all over there soon. Um, but it kind of uh, occurred to me that um, I sort of looked them up, and you know, uh, Web is is twenty bucks, and an Albers is thirty. And then I thought, well, I don't actually know how much it is to to sponsor other players so I started looking around and uh, first place I'll, I'll give you this for context so so Webb is 20 Albert is 30 Mike Trout is uh, $1,185 if you want to sponsor his, his baseball reference page 
let's, uh, let's pass the hat on, uh, on the Vanity <laughs> to the Pen Facebook group. Yeah, you know, maybe when we've got like another 10,000, uh, you know, people, fans, we can get uh, each of them to, to chip in a bit of money and we'll get there easily. Um, so, you know, I just thought a little uh, light entertainment and maybe people uh, who are listening can play along and, and we'll give them a bit of time to guess. Uh, we'd uh, look up a, a few of the guys uh, that we discussed today and, and you guys can, can guess how much it would cost you to, to sponsor their pages. Um, oh, boy. So, you know, like the career earnings page game, but much oh, harder. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> well, and this actually could could mean something to me because, you know, I have a, a Nats-focused website and podcast. So this, if I'm doing Nats players, I might actually see how much I'm going to have to chunk down for one of these pages. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so that's that's where I've started. The first page I've got up here is Bryce Harper's page. So so how much do you guys think it would cost to sponsor the, the Bryce Harper baseball reference page? Because hmm. I feel like... It's going to be more than you would think, just because of name value. So I'll take the take the heat off you, Brandon, and I'll start with seven hundred ninety three dollars. Oh man, see, Paul, my guess was going to be eight hundred, but you know what? Here, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go uh, nine hundred dollars. I'll go nine hundred dollars for Bryce Harper. Well, Paul has won this one, but. Neither is particularly close. It's much lower than I thought. Uh, it's only four hundred dollars. Whoa! Sponsor. What? So, so Trout has got nearly eight hundred bucks on him. I'll be honest. Which... I think we're buying. I, I think we would be buying low on the Bryce Harper page right now. If, yeah, uh, yeah. If we if we yeah. if we pass the hat on the Banish to the Pen Facebook group, we're buying low because I have a feeling by the end of the season that's going to be way up. Yeah, if he hits a few more home runs next week, you know, it might already be up then. Uh, Okay, uh, I, I also got up uh, Steven Strasburg's, uh, so I don't know if, uh, if you guys have any guesses. Uh, now Bryce has given you a bit of a guide. All right. Might get closer. All right, uh, I'll, go, I'll go first on this one, and I will guess a comparable number to Bryce. I'm gonna, I'll go 400 on it. I feel like I'll lowball this a little, and I'll go 275. You've you've just got it again. It's three hundred and fifteen dollars. You're getting in the, the right range now. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I've uh, this one should be uh, interesting. Uh, I didn't really know what to to make of this because um, I'm not sure how how they figure this stuff out. But uh, Tim Lincecum is the next one I've got up. How much do you think it costs to uh, sponsor the freak on Ooh. baseball reference? Because this is going to be a meaty page with a whole lot of good bold face numbers, which means yes. he led the league yeah, in something. Yeah, there's a lot of black ink on this page. Ooh. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put some faith in big time Timmy Jim. I'm gonna go four hundred and thirty five dollars. I'm, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go a little under. I'm gonna say three hundred and ninety. Paul has got it again. It's six hundred and ten. Whoa! Geez. What? <laughs> It's the black ink. It's got to be the black. This is yeah. this is the best I've ever been at anything in my entire life. <laughs> You're on on fire. Uh, I was going to say he doesn't have any black ink lately, but I was wrong. Last year he led the uh, league in wild pitches. And earned is, runs not that long ago, right? Uh, I don't. He's not. He would. Yeah, 2012. It, it was earned runs. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, um, D- Darius. Can I have you do one for my wife? Yeah. Go for it. Her favorite player in the history of the world is Michael Morse. So if it's reasonable, I have a feeling we're going to sponsor <laughs> this in our household. So let's do Michael Morse next. Michael Morse. Oh, okay. I'm, I might guess as well before I look. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be uh, 120. Okay. 
I'll come in. I'll come in at ninety-five. All right. Uh, you, you have one twenty. You have ninety-five. All right. I'm gonna go. Um, Michael Morris. I'm. I'm gonna go. Uh, one hundred and forty. Oh, well, Brandon's got one. It's it's much oh. higher than I expected. Three hundred and sixty bucks for Michael Morris. Wow. I do wait, not wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I can get Strasburg for forty five dollars yeah. less than Michael Morris. <laughs> really, really be going for Strasburg. Uh, I, I just wanted to do one more. I thought this would be be fun uh, for people to to think about. Alex Rodriguez has been uh, hitting the headlines lately. But how much would it cost you to sponsor his baseball reference page? Uh, I'm going to have a fun guess at this and go $666. <laughs> I'm I'm going to go I I will I'll go 900 on Alex Rodriguez. Uh, almost spot on $875. Hey. Oh man. So I I haven't managed to find anybody uh active who's more than Trout yet. Um I haven't. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna look up bonds and see what his is uh, on there. Oh, it's, it's almost identical to A Rod, eight ninety. Wow. So yeah, Trout, Trout seems to be the leader in the clubhouse so far. Wow. All right. Well, thank you for that, Darius. That was that was yeah. a lot of fun. And you know, you I, I hope. Uh, and you know what? Thank you for uh, thanks. Thanks for saving this for us because you know I think it could have been a good uh, a good question for uh, for effectively wild and. Uh, you know, and this would be a, a fun game for Sam. Yeah, well, maybe they can still play. I mean, periodically they do still do the uh, the career earnings. So oh, that's true. That's true. Maybe every time they do that, they can also guess how much it will be to sponsor the page. <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Darius. Um, I want to close the episode today with a uh, with with the baseball memory, top baseball memory. But uh, this weekend in the United States is Mother's Day. Um, so I just want to throw it over to Paul uh, mm-hmm. to go first to share a uh, a baseball memory uh, with uh, your mother, a mother in your life, um, or or your wife because you uh, you are parents. Okay, so I'm first going to give like a nine second shout out to my mom who went to every sporting event I ever had and suffered through them. So thanks, mom. But Mine actually is a is a pretty big game in in the the Klein household of baseball and 2012 NLDS game 4. And for those of you who are not Nationals or Cardinals fans and don't remember this is where the Nats walked off on a Jason Worth home run on the 13th pitch of the at bat. And like right now I'm hearing Charlie Slows the Nats radio announcer call it in my head and I have honest goosebumps right now. That's how crazy this game was in our house. So my wife and I at this point my son is 3 and uh we're watching the game. We're wrapped up in it. We're, you know, biting fingernails, crushing each other's hands and grips and he's playing with superheroes or something around the room. <laughs> you know, it, like he he knows what baseball is, but it's it's glowing people on a TV and the the pitch goes up worth it fouled off like eight in a row or some nonsensical thing and he destroys it into the bullpen and my wife and I leap to our feet and we're screaming our heads off and like parading around the living room together and we look down and I see this tiny little three-year-old screaming for all he is worth and following us like it's the wild rumpus on where the wild things is 
just screaming, we did it, we did it, we did it. And I'm like, w- w- do you know what happened? And he, he didn't care. He, he was, the family was loving baseball together. And that was like, he, he's been a giant baseball fan ever since. And that moment always sticks out to me, A, because of what happened in the game. But it was just a really great, what, you know, seeing baseball bring families together moment. And I just remember looking down and seeing this tiny, chubby little thing, just thinking the world had ended, but in a positive way and loving every moment of it. So that's my family-ish baseball best memory. Uh, thanks for that, Paul. That's fantastic. Um, Darius, it's, it's not Mother's Day over where you are. Is that correct? It is not. No, it, it already happened several weeks ago over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll still give I'll still give you an opportunity to share. And I know you were saying beforehand that your uh, that your uh, mom is not much of a sports person. Um, but uh, do you have a uh, a a? I'll, I'll I'll give you some leeway here. You could either share like a a mom and sort of tangential baseball um, memory or a top baseball memory. Um, I mean, I really, I don't think, my mum probably wouldn't even know who A-Rod was, so it's it's really difficult to uh, actually <laughs> share a, a, a baseball memory, uh, however tangential. Um, she sort of vaguely knows that I write about baseball, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll have to go for the, the latter option. Uh, the the moment that, that I always remember, um, and this is, might be a bit obvious, but uh, is the, the final pitch of the 2012 World Series. Um when Sergio Romo struck out Miguel Cabrera by just throwing this, you know, I think it was like 83 mile per hour fastball right down the middle of the plate because all he'd done that postseason was throw slider after slider after slider and everybody just, you know, swings hopelessly at a pitch that they couldn't possibly hit unless they were maybe Vlad Guerrero. And and so just, you know, Cabrera just being absolutely frozen by this entirely hittable fastball that Romo <laughs> had the... the uh, you know, the guts to throw. Um, and, you know, he could easily have launched it clean out of the park. It, you know, Cabrera wouldn't have had any trouble doing that. But just the, the surprise element and, uh, you know, called strike three and the chance of won the World Series. And I sort of just, yeah, I always have that uh, image in my mind of that fastball sailing right over the middle of the plate and Cabrera's just watching it, you know, go into Posey's glove uh, and, and doing nothing about it. Um, so that's kind of my, uh, my iconic uh, baseball moment, really, that, that I always remember. No, I hear you, and I I remember that game very well as well. I remember watching that and being amazed that you know Miguel Cabrera's. I mean, it's obviously not what Miguel Cabrera was looking for, but you know that's a that was that could have been a meatball of a that, pitch. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know he, in a different in a different situation. Yeah, he could have uh, tied the game up, and you know, it had gone to a uh, you know another inning, and you know we may well have uh, seen a very different World Series. I sort of it makes me think of um, the the Seahawks throwing the pass at the one-yard line. You know, mm-hmm. if, yes. If they catch the touchdown there, everybody's like, what a great play. And, uh, you know, Seahawks really uh, caught the Patriots by surprise. Nobody expected them to throw the pass. Malcolm Butler was it doesn't just step in front of the ball and, and make that ridiculous interception. Then, you know, everything is completely different. And uh, so I guess it's, it's the reverse of that. You know, Romo did something... Uh, you know, very unexpected and very gutsy, and uh, through a pitch that had Cabrera been waiting for it, he would almost certainly have hit a really long way, um, but he didn't. And and so you know, that's kind of one of the the fun things about sports, I guess. We like we like to talk about this, um, uh, but that that's yeah. what the what if yeah. the what if part what of it. It's but, such a great fine line between incredibly ballsy hero and scapegoat. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> Romo blows that saves and, and then the Tigers win that game. Who knows what happens the rest of the way. But, uh, as it was. Actually, Paul what, Paul, what you just said reminds me of that line from Spinal Tap. Uh, there's such a fine line between clever and stupid. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, and, and that could have applied. That could have applied to Sergio Romo in that situation, I suppose. Um, I, before we close, I just want to give a shout out to my mom uh, for putting up with, uh, you know, my love of baseball as a young person. But, you know, she was a big baseball fan as well, followed the Cubs through the 69 season and, uh, you know, have a box full of newspapers uh, across the hall with uh, with uh, Cubs related headlines from uh, from '69 uh, and '84 and '89, and uh, you know, in 2001, I just want to say this: this is, I believe, it was at the beginning of the year when I told her that uh, it would be my dream to visit all 30 baseball stadiums, and by that point, she and I had been to two. We'd been to the two uh, in Chicago. Um, and then that summer we went and visited relatives in, uh, the Washington DC area. This is pre nationals, but, uh, they took me to, uh, to Baltimore and to Philadelphia that summer. And my mom was the one who sat with me through both of those games. And, uh, she and my grandma, actually, the three of us went up to a game in Milwaukee in, uh, 2004. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, just want to give that shout out to my mom for being, you know, for conveying, you know, her love of baseball to me and uh, probably wouldn't have happened without her. So, uh, thanks. Uh, anyway, that'll, uh, that'll do it for episode 20. Episode 20 of the Banished to the Pen podcast. I'd like to thank Paul and Darius for joining us today. Uh, Paul, real quick, uh, Twitter handle website? Yeah, uh, you can find me at GR Trouble, and our website is www.groundrolltrouble.com. If you want to listen to the only that I know of, Husband and Wife Baseball Podcast, check us out. We usually do a weekly show, too. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. And Darius, uh, Twitter... And website? Uh, so the, the Twitter is DariusA64, the, the number 64. And uh, I'm, you can find me at banishedtothepen.com and also friendswithfantasybenefits.com. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, my name is Brandon Lee. You can find me occasionally on Banished to the Pen and also on Twitter at Blee Internets, B-L-E-E Internets. And uh, that'll do it. Episode 20 in the books. Farewell and remember... Be nice to your fellow listeners.